angels gathered in their masses Just like witches at black masses Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Oh, larger! And that was the sound of Black Sabbath War Pigs. That was your Survivor Series War Games theme song of the whole event. I'm your host, G2. I'm here to give you my Survivor Series War Games review. And let me tell you guys something. Survivor Series was a good pay-per-view. You had five matches on the card. You had one match that was a dud because, well, we all knew it was going to be a dud, but I'll get to that when I get to it. But all the other matches, it was fair. It was fine. Um... Survivor Series was basically the tales of two War Games matches. One War Games was all about nothing but weapons and spots, and it was basically a big hodgepodge of things, but it wasn't about a story. While the second War Games was nothing but story-based work. It was nothing but character work, but I'll get to that one when I get to it. So let me just start off with the first War Games match. And it was the first match of the show. It was the women's War Games matchup of Team Bianca, which is Bianca Belair, the Raw Women's Champion, Asuka, Becky Lynch, Alexa Bliss, and Mia Yim going against Team Damage Control, Bayley, the Women Tag Team Champions, Io Sky and Dakota Kai, Nikki Cross, and Rhea Ripley. Now you will get Team Bianca winning the match um, when Bianca would hit Bailey with a KOD into the cage and Becky would hit a leg drop off the cage on Io and Dakota who were laying on a table and Becky would then pin Dakota Kai for the win. As I said already before, this matchup was literally nothing but women bringing in weapons and hitting each other. You had Kindle sticks, you had trash cans, you had trash can lids, you had tables, you had ladders. I mean, you just had a whole hodgepodge of things. This was just nothing but just straight up just having fun, allowing the fans to uh, open the show, well, get a good opening matchup, a good opening show to let people know what they could be expecting for the rest of the night. And the women basically did what they had to do here. Um, at one moment, you had Nikki Cross going up to the top of the cage before all the other uh, women were in the match. You had um, Io, Dakota... Bianca and Asuka and Alexa Bliss in there and Nikki would get up to the top of the cage so jump off and hit a flying crossbody onto all the ladies um the dominant power force in this matchup literally was Rhea Ripley and I think everybody knew that when it was, uh Rhea was announced to be in this cage match everybody knew Rhea was going to be the power and she was the power force in here and to be honest with you she almost won the match for her team if it wasn't for I believe Alexa breaking it up because Rhea Ripley hit Becky Lynch with the Riptide and Alexa Bliss broke up the pin, which led to Asuka giving Rhea Ripley like Mr. in the face. So again, you had all these ladies pulling out different things. There's one thing I didn't like about the match. Only one. Nikki Cross in this matchup from time to time, you would see her literally just off on the corner, just doing nothing. And I understand well, no, I don't. I'm not going to lie about it. I don't understand it. 
because her character is supposed to be a frantic person, not frantic, but it's like this maniacal, crazy, old NXT version of Nikki Cross when she was with Sanity, aka she would do anything, and it's all about chaos. She's on a War Games team. This match is nothing but absolute chaos and nothing but just going balls to the walls. You have Kendo Six chairs, you have everything in there, and you mean to tell me that Nikki Cross doesn't go crazy as you would think that she should with the character that she has in this War Game match? That was the one big, like, red stop sign for me in this matchup. It was Nikki Cross literally just doing nothing from time to time. And when she did do something, it wasn't that impactful. The only thing that was big and impactful was literally her jumping off the cage. Other than that, you really could have substituted Nikki Cross with any other woman on the roster, and it just would have been fine. It just didn't make sense why they did not use Nikki Cross to her full potential in this matchup. Now, I don't know if she's dealing with an injury that she just couldn't do as much, or she was trying to take it easy or something. I don't know. I'm just saying, if you watch that match, and you know the character that Nikki's having to play on TV or in this version that we have of Nikki, is not the same Nikki Cross from NXT. Nikki Cross from NXT, she was out there. She was getting it. She was not doing this. She was not standing idle and just smiling. And no, no, that's my big stop sign. I'm saying this right now. We need to give... Nikki Cross more into it. We need to give her more deranged. We need to have her be more like a pit bull onto people the way that she was in NXT. If they would have had NXT version of Nikki Cross here on the main roster in this War Games, I guarantee you we would have got more out of her than what we did in this. But everybody else played their roles in this. You even had EO Sky jumping off the cage and doing a moonsault, which she does every time she's in a War Games matchup. She will always jump off the top of the cage. So you had her still do that here. I mean, everybody legitimately played their role here. Mia Yim, she even showed out, and this is her first time ever being in War Games. She got sidelined the other two times she was supposed to be in War Games, but this is her first time, and even she showed out here. I just wish that people would have just done some more with Nikki Cross. That was my whole biggest gripe out of this whole matchup. But everything else, all other seven ladies, they did what they were supposed to do. So congrats to the women in this uh, War Games matchup here. Now, after this, we will have a backstage segment where Jay Uso is going up to Roman Reigns in the locker room. And Jay asked Roman, did he see what happened on Friday where Jay happened to see Kevin Owens talking to Sammy and Sammy lying to Jay and Roman would tell Jay, listen here, I got Sammy. I'm going to have him in here. I'm going to talk to him and I'm going to look him in his eye and I'm going to see where his allegiance lie. And that's going to tell me everything I need to know. What you need to do is you need to focus tonight. So then later in the night, we would get Sammy Zayn coming up in Roman's office and Roman would talk to Sammy, asking him about why did he lie to Jay. And Sammy would tell Roman that he lied to Jay because Jay had an important matchup. And he didn't want to put any more stress or any more uh, things on Jay's plate for him to worry about. So that's the reason why he lied to him. And that he just wanted to protect Jay. His focus is literally with the bloodline. Sammy's not trying to cost the bloodline anything. He's just trying to look out for the best of the bloodline. So Roman would ask him, what did Kevin Owens tell you? So Sammy would tell Roman that Kevin Owens told me that if he was me, I would turn on you before you turn on me. Roman would look at Sammy and Sammy would just start telling Roman, listen, I'm with the bloodline. I'm with you guys. I'm with you guys all the way. I'm not. No, 
I don't take this for granted. You guys took me in when nobody else would. There's only five people that go into your locker room. It's the Usos, Paul, Solo, and myself. I don't take that for granted. You guys mean the world to me. I am truly with the bloodline. So Roman will look at Sammy, and he just stares at him. And this will be this long little stare between Roman and Sammy. And then Sammy will see Roman get up, and Roman will tell Sammy to get up. And he would tell Sammy that, I believe you. And they hug each other. So later, you will see Jay get back into Roman's office. And Jay will ask Roman, okay, what what happened? Roman says, I saw everything I needed to see. We'll go out there and we'll handle our business. And that was it. So we have to see what happens at the end where we get to the men's war games. Now, getting on to... After that, we would get to AJ Styles with the club in his corner, going against Finn Balor, who had Judgment Day, which is Damian Priest and Dominic Mysterio in his corner. AJ would win the match by pinfall by hitting the phenomenal forearm on Finn for the win. Both men would leave the matches with bruises on their body. I'm not going to lie to you. I was expecting something else with AJ and Finn. I thought we were going to get something along the lines of, what, their match in 2017? But we didn't get that. I understand they are older now, but I thought we would at least get something more. But I'm not going to complain. This still was a good match. I'll go back to it, but I would probably go back to their TLC match before I ever go back to this one if I had to pick the two. But they still did good work here. They even did the double Pele spot. And what I mean by that is AJ Styles and Finn Balor are both known for doing Pele kicks. AJ would hit Finn with a Pele kick first, and then Finn would hit AJ with a Pele kick, and then they both would go down to the mat. And also, they would do a callback to AJ Styles' match with Brock Lesnar, where Finn leg was hurt in this match. And AJ would get Finn in the calf crusher, and Finn would bounce AJ's head like a basketball on the mat to get him to release the hold. The same way that Brock Lesnar did to AJ Styles in their match a couple years ago at Survivor Series to get him to release the calf crusher off him. So I like the callback number that they did between each other. And there also was a fate moment where Finn Balor was going to hit AJ Styles with the Styles Clash, but that didn't happen. And I would have loved to see it because AJ Styles in his New Japan run, he did Prince Devitt or Finn Balor's uh, finisher at the time, um, Bloody Sunday, which is a high elevated DDT. And he would do that in his matches in New Japan. And Finn Balor, to my knowledge, has never done a Styles Clash none of his time in WWE. So it would have been great to see the callback of Finn hitting Styles with a Styles Clash the same way that Finn, no, not Finn, but AJ would use Finn's move over there in New Japan. It would have been great, but we didn't get that. Hopefully, whenever they go one-on-one again with each other, we'll get that because right now they're both one-on-one. Finn won their first match a couple years ago at TLC. Now AJ won this match up here. So they're technically one-to-one. They're going to have the rumor match. And hopefully the next time they face each other is going to be with a championship on the line. Speaking of championships, we'll get the SmackDown Women's Championship. And this is what I talk about the dud. Shotzi going against Ronda Rousey, who had Shayna Baszler in her corner. Ronda would win the match by submission by locking in the arm bar. And Shotzi would tap out. The fans was not into it. And I wasn't into it. I gave this match a nice try, but like it just didn't click. Nothing clicked. You even had the fans chanting, we want Sasha. They're in the Boston area. Sasha was born in Boston, and she comes out always to represent Boston. So the fans were chanting for Sasha here. I mean, nothing here clicked. 
certain people on Twitter were able to catch some of the stuff that Ronda did, like Shotzi was trying to hit her with a DDT on the ring apron, and Ronda didn't want to go down from the ring uh, for the DDT on the mat, and it looked it sloppy. Certain things in here looked sloppy with the two ladies. I just don't know what happened here. I, it just was a dud. It just didn't work. So, again, we still have Ronda as a women's champion. Everybody knew what was going to happen. But, again, the match just did not work. Now, getting away from that match, we get to a match that actually did work that everybody actually wanted to see. A triple threat match for the United States Championship. Bobby Lashley going against Austin Theory, going against the champion Seth Rollins. And... Theory would win the match, and he would become the new United States champion. When Seth would hit Theory with a superplex, then go for the trusty Falcon Arrow, but as Seth would have Theory in the air, Bobby would run over and hit Seth with a spear, and then as Theory would go down and Seth would go down, Theory's arm would drape over Seth, and the referee would make the count, and now we have a new United States champion in Austin Theory. This match was good. It was exactly what I expected it to be. Bobby Lashley being a powerhouse. Austin Theory trying to quickly get a win from time to time. Seth being the guy that he is. He's a well-rounded guy. He could play power game. He can do speed. He can do all this type of stuff. The aerial assault maneuvers. And he did that here. And it's exactly what you expected. And also, there was also one point in this match where Seth used Theory as a running step to hit a stomp on Bobby Lashley, which looked sick, and it was nicely done. And again, good match between all three of these guys. They knew what the assignment was. They had to pick up the crowd after that women's matchup, and they did that here. You had Theory hitting Bobby at one point with steel steps multiple times. You had Theory just going on a rampage here. Again, Theory is unlocking a new aggression in himself after losing the money in the bank briefcase and apparently it worked my whole thing is again he still should be holding the money made briefcase he should have never cashed it in that was a dumb booking decision but since he lost the money in the bank briefcase we got to give him a new championship the united states championship and cool he got that here i just wish that seth would have got a longer run seth just personally my opinion just got the belt and he was just starting to do good work with the championship but Again, we got to give Theory something since he lost the Money in the Bank briefcase. We got to give him something, and they gave him the United States Championship here. Not my call. One that been my call, but I'm not the man in charge. But again, great match between three of these, all three of these men. Great, great matchup. Now it's time for the main event. The Men War Games matchup. With Team Brutes, Sheamus, Drew McIntyre, Butch, Rich Holland, and Kevin Owens going against Team Bloodline, Roman Reigns, the Usos, Solo Sokoa, and the Honorarius, Sami Zayn. Now, here is a quick couple of highlights here that I want to really point out here. Jay would start the matchup with Butch. Now, with Team Brutes having the advantage, they would get an extra member coming in after the five minutes, and it ends up being Rich Holland. Now, after that, you see the brawling Brutes of Butch and Rich beating up on Jay. And then once the time limit stopped, the three minutes time for another uh, participant to come in, you would see the cage for the bloodline open up and Jimmy was going to walk out of the cage, but Roman will pull Jimmy back in and Jimmy will look at Roman and Roman just looks at Jimmy and say, uh-uh. He looks at Sammy and he tells Sammy, get in the cage. And Sammy looks at Roman and Roman just points at him, go. So. 
Roman is testing Sammy's loyalty to the bloodline, the way that Sammy said that he has loyalty to them. He's testing it by going into that cage with the Brutes, with Jay, to see where your true loyalty lies. So Sammy gets out of the cage. He walks over to the actual War Games cage, and he walks slowly. Jay would pop up and start beating up on Butch and Ridge, and then you see Sammy get in there to help out Jay. Now, at points in this matchup, you would see Jay about to get beat up, and Sammy would pull him out of the way, and Sammy would have to keep on telling Jay, I helped you. I just saved you to let Jay know, listen, I'm on your side. So Sammy will constantly do this in this matchup all the way until the end where everybody's in the cage. Everybody's in there. You have Roman, you have the Usos, you have Solo, Sammy on one cage. You have the Brutes, Sheamus, Ridge, Butch, Drew, and Kevin Owens in another ring. And they get into one ring and all of them start brawling with each other. Now, towards the end of the match, you will see Roman and Kevin Owens being the last men standing, right? And Roman and Kevin Owens are trading hands, doing their thing. And you see Kevin Owens get the better of Roman. He would hit him with a pop-up powerbomb and then hit Roman with a stunner. And as he was going to pin Roman and get the three count, and as the referee was going down for the three, Sammy would run over and grab the ref's hand before he hits that three. Now, Kevin Owens would see Sammy and he would get up and ask Sammy, what's he doing? This would lead to Sammy telling Kevin Owens that the bloodline is his family. Kevin Owens would shout at Sammy saying, that's your family. And you would see both of them just go back and forth. And you see Jimmy Uso trying to go over and superkick Kevin Owens, but Kevin would catch it. And this would allow Sammy to hit Kevin Owens with a low blow. Now, Kevin Owens is like hitting the nuts. He's holding his jewels. He's leaning himself up to the turnbuckle corner as he's just catching his breath. You see Sammy just looking conflicted. He goes over to Roman and makes sure Roman's okay. Roman looks at Sammy and says that he's okay. And he just looks at Sammy, looks at Kevin Owens, and you see them both make eye contact, and he just nods at Sammy. And Sammy would run over and hit Kevin Owens with the Huluva kick. And now that he's done this, Kevin Owens would faint, and he starts going over to Sammy, and he just starts dropping. But Sammy would catch Kevin Owens before he hits the match. Now you see... Sami Zayn holding Kevin Owens' body, and he's just holding him. And you just see Jay Uso standing in the turnbuckle, and Sami's eye catches Jay, and he looks at Jay, and he just drops Kevin Owens, and he just gives Kevin Owens away to Jay as a sacrifice. Jay will take it. He'll go up to the top turnbuckle, hit a Uso splash on Kevin Owens, cover him for the win. That's it. The Bloodline win the War Games matchup. Now, after the match, all the members of the bloodline are standing in the middle of the ring. You see Kevin Owens laid out. You see the Brutes laid out. You see Drew laid out. Sami Zayn is looking at Kevin Owens, and you can see that he wants to tear up a little bit because he just turned his back on a, his one of his best friends, a man that he's been friends with for mad years. And he looks at Roman. Roman looks at Sammy, and he has his arms open. Sammy would go over to Roman and hug him. And Roman's hugging Sammy back. And after this, you see Jay look at Roman and Sammy hugging. And once Roman gets done hugging Sammy, Jay goes over to Sammy and he hugs him. And the crowd just erupts because finally, Jay Uso, after months of hating on Sammy so much, this, this match right here, that moment of sacrificing Kevin Owens up, your best friend, 
to us, you have truly been now accepted into the bloodline. You now have all the members of the bloodline accepting you. And this would make the fans erupt because the fans have been on this story with the bloodline, with Sammy, with Jay and Sammy specifically. The fans loved that moment. And he even got to the point that after Jay hugged Sammy, Sammy just cheered up and he just starts hugging Jay back. And now you have a hug fest between these two. Jimmy goes over, do his handshake with Sammy. Sammy's just now elated now because now he's finally has the whole trust of the bloodline and he's finally a member of the full bloodline. Now, we did not hear him be called Sammy Uso. That might be saved on SmackDown, but at the end of Survivor Series, you would see all members of the bloodline line up next to each other and they just throw their ones up in the air and it's solidified as a symbol that the bloodline is all together as one and Sammy is fully a bloodline member. And you was as the pay-per-view go off, Sammy will look at Roman and say, I am with you. I am completely with you 100%. You have my loyalty. I would never, ever turn my back on you. And that's how the pay-per-view ends. So again, we had two tales of two separate war games, the Survivor Series matchup. And you have the first match, nothing but straight-up chaos, while the second one, the ending, would be nothing but storyline-driven. And that was what's best for business for especially Survivor Series, especially this one. Because this Survivor Series only had five matches on there. And the men's war game, I believe, is going to be the one that people remember, especially for the spot of Sami Zayn giving up Kevin Owens to the bloodline. And that's what's best for business. It truly is. And hopefully, this takes us on the path of, okay, Sami buys himself more time to be with the bloodline before eventually everything starts disintegrating and tearing itself apart. How they're going to do it, I don't know. I thought it was going to happen tonight on Survivor Series, but it didn't. They went the other way around. And personally, I'm happy for it because, hey, we still get Sammy more time in the bloodline. Sami Zayn has been the WWE MVP of this year. I tweeted that. I am 100% behind that. And that's just what it is. But where does this lead us to in the future? I don't know. We're building up for Royal Rumble next on the main roster. So we'll have to see about that. But anyway, that is my review of Survivor Series War Games. Again, great pay-per-view if you have enough time to watch it on Peacock. Go ahead and watch it. Watch the four matches that were good. Do not watch the SmackDown Women's Championship match. It was not that great. Don't waste your time. But all the other four matches, they're good. Go ahead and uh, watch them. Sierra Hotel. India. Echo. Lima. Delta. Shield. Now, here's some little bonus content for you. I told you guys a couple weeks ago, if you were listening to the Wrestling Highlights of the Week episodes, that I was going to give you my 10-year retrospective on The Shield since they debuted at the Survivor Series pay-per-view 10 years ago when they helped CM Punk retain his WWE Championship in a triple threat match with Ryback and John Cena to be known as one of the longest reigning WWE Champions of the modern era when he retained his championship and he was actually able to surpass the one-year time mark, but that's all just nerdy stuff for me here. Um, The Shield has been around the mainstream WWE or mainstream professional wrestling era for 10 years. The Shield, which consists of Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, and Dean Ambrose, or better known as John Moxley and AEW. 
Now, when people first saw them on the main roster, a lot of people didn't know who they were. Only certain internet guys like myself or big diehard guys would know exactly who all three of these guys were. Especially if you watch like NXT on Hulu or you can catch like certain segments on YouTube. That's the only way you actually knew who Roman Reigns was because he was not on NXT that much. FCW, the brand before NXT, he was on there as another character known as Liaki. But when he got transferred over to NXT, he changed his name to Roman Reigns. He wasn't on there but for so much. And then he just vanished off the whole NXT brand until the Shield popped up. Now, with Shield being up there, they were known as the guys who were just basically going to be the security guards or the extra hired muscle for CM Punk to help him retain his WWE championships. He did that on a couple of occurrences. The most notable ones is the Survivor Series one and also the match that he had against Ryback on Monday Night Raw, the TLC match to retain his WWE championship as CM Punk was heading off into his Royal Rumble matchup with uh, The Rock of 2013. But again, The Shield is something that a lot of people would like to give credit to for helping change the way the WWE looked at people coming up from developmental. Because if people don't remember this, a lot of people that came up from developmental to go to WWE, a lot of them were not connecting with the audience. You had the Nexus, who were the legit first people from developmental, I believe, that anybody's ever going to give credit to. They connected, but then their water hose got cut, and I mean, everybody just went down the drain after that, except for Brian Danielson. Darren Young, he had to get himself with Titus O'Neil, and they became primetime players, and for the next couple of years, it took them until they won their first WWE Tag Team Championships. You had... Uh, Michael Tarver, he didn't go anywhere. David Otunga, he, yeah, he was a, what, one or two-time WWE Tag Team Champions, and after that, nothing. Michael McGillicuddy, who got transformed into Curtis Axel years later. Yeah, a couple of Tag Team Championships underneath his belt. He has a run as Intercontinental Championship one time, and then that was it. You have Husky Harris, who now is known as Bray Wyatt. He's the only one besides, like, Brian Danielson, I would say, to actually use the Nexus thing and actually got himself catapulted well brian danielson did but not husky husky had to go back to developmental then he had to come up with his own character that's besides the point a lot of people in nexus didn't really cut the mustard except for brian danielson let's just call spade a spade way barrett he had an opportunity but that did not happen you had other characters that would come up from the main from developmental and i can't even remember all of them you had tyler rex you had uh who else um, uh, God, Eric Escobar, you had certain other people, I mean, by God, if you just go back, you can know who I'm talking about here, but the Shield were the first actual people that actually got some type of power on the main screen television. People that were actually legit badasses that people actually wanted to see on your television screen so many times to kick ass that's what you wanted out of the shield and that's what you wanted from them they were the guys when they first came in they straight up just wrecked shop and they did what they did and that was it and then the first time you heard from them you saw them in a backstage situation segment with michael cole you had roman reigns you had dean ambrose you had seth rollins on in their own respective stools and they're all just waiting for Michael to ask some questions. You have your infamous Dean Ambrose nope meme that comes out of that. Roman Reigns, he didn't say much. He was known as the silent killer. 
Seth Rollins, he was your wrestling guy. Dean Ambrose, he was your talker of the group, but he still could wrestle here and there as a brawler. And Roman Reigns, he was your big muscle brute. And that was your formula for the Shield. The Shield were the guys. Just make it point blank and clear. And you could tell even at that point, the way of the trajectory of the Shield, they were going to be the men that were going to carry WWE in the next couple of years going into the future. You knew what was happening. Well, I can say this. You knew John Moxley and you knew Roman Reigns were. Seth Rollins, I'm going to say 50-50 on because of this reason alone. Because Seth Rollins, I see him as a white version of Kofi Kingston, but with more muscle. Because Kofi, he can do everything Seth does with respect. And that's a fact. But he just does not have the power game that Seth Rollins has. Seth Rollins has a power game that Kofi Kingston does not have. But all the athleticism, all the ability, all the high-flying stuff. Kofi and Seth are bar for bar on the exact same measure stick to me. So I did not know what they were going to do with Seth Rollins when the whole shield broke up. Because when you look at the shield, you see the template, you see the blueprint, you see what WWE is going to do. John Moxley, Dean Ambrose, he is your villain-looking guy, and he makes the perfect villain in any promotion he's in. AEW, we haven't seen it that part of John Moxley yet, but we will when the time comes. But Dean Ambrose, he is the perfect villain when you give him that time. The way that CZW and all these other independent wrestling shows did, he made his name for being a complete a-hole. Roman Reigns, you can see it now with him being the tribal chief. WWE always seen him as the guy, as the person that they're going to build a franchise around. That was their person. You could see it even back then, the way they were looking at him, the way that he was always the guy for certain things, as in the Shield triple powerbomb. Roman was always in the middle, always having Seth and Dean hoist guys onto his shoulders and hit the powerbomb. Roman was always the middle man. He was always the heavy hitter. That's always the thing. He was a good-looking guy, still a good-looking guy now, but you can see what I'm talking about. WWE was building their franchise around Roman, and it was easy to see even back then. Seth Rollins was always the guy that was the well-rounded guy. He could do everything. He could talk. He could wrestle in the ring, but you just didn't know what they were going to do with him once the Shield split. But once we got that answer, when the Shield actually did split, you saw that Seth was going to be okay. They turned him into the bad guy. And he's going to be the chosen guy for the company. He's going to be their quote-unquote chosen guy so the fans can hate him. And we're going to give Seth some type of credibility for that. Because when the Shield was dominant, and let me say this, 2013, that was the Shield's year. They came in late 2012. They wrecked shop. They win championships. Their like first couple pay-per-views into the company. Dean with the United States Championship. Uh, Seth and Roman with WWE Tag Team Championships. They went on an undefeated streak for uh, as being a six-man undefeated streak, and then they lose on a SmackDown, and again, the fans erupting that. I believe it was Randy Orton and the Usos that did that, or Daniel Bryan and the Usos, one of the two. But they were able to get that, and the fans were cheering for that, because again, 2013, it was the Shields year. They were destroying everything, they were wrecking shop, they were untouchable. So when they lost their six-man undefeated streak, they were still champions. They still were head and shoulders above everybody else in the pecking order. And then we start 
having them lose championships. Okay, they're still head and shoulders by everybody because everybody wanted to know what the Shield's going to do now because they lost championships. They're not going to take that line down. They did what they had to do, blah, blah, blah. Getting into 2014, that's when the whole split happens. Split apart, okay. Now it's time to see what everybody's going to do on their own separately. Roman, he started going after the world championship, period. You had Dean Ambrose going after Seth Rollins for revenge for breaking up the Shield. That's what we're doing here. You knew off top what it was. And then fast forward years later, they make history. They're the only group in WWE history, or I think in wrestling history ever, to hold the world championship. All members of that specific group has held that world championship on one night. And that was Money in the Bank 2016. Roman Reigns going against Seth Rollins. Roman was the WWE heavyweight champion. Seth was the challenger. Seth beats Roman for the WWE Heavyweight Championship. And then you see after this, John Moxley comes down, cash in the Money in the Bank briefcase, beats Seth Rollins, and wins the WWE Heavyweight Championship. All three members of the Shield hold that championship at the end. Well, on that pay-per-view, but in the end, John Moxley ends up holding it. You catch what I'm saying here. All three men held the championship, that exact freaking event. That made history. And when you look at the whole retrospect of everything, in his time in WWE, John Moxley, Dean Ambrose did not get his fair cut. Yes, he was WWE champion once. Yes, he won the United States Championship. Yes, he won the Intercontinental Champion. Yes, he won the tag team titles. But think about it. His run in WWE was not that great. When you really look at it and you really put it up to a lens, his run was not that great at all. He had a subpar run. Even for being world champion, that run for being world champion was not that great. It was subpar. That's just a fact. And I'll state that to anybody that would really want to argue that with me. John Moxley's best time in WWE was literally his early years with the Shield. After that, it went completely down the hill. Just off top. He had a couple of bright spot moments here and there. But that's just the truth. Roman and Seth's time in WWE has always been on the ups. Period. Seth, he was the guy... He was the guy carrying the Money in Bank briefcase in 2014, cashing in for the highest of the century at WrestleMania 31. The next year, beating Roman Reigns, and he held the championship until he got injured. And then when he comes back from injury, who is he beefing with? Roman Reigns for the WWE Championship. Ta-da! Fast forward years later, he's still with the company. He ends up not being the face yet. He ends up having to go through multiple character changes to now become the revolutionary, the visionary, the guy that he is now. After already being through the architect, being the messiah, being Seth freaking Rollins, he is where he's at now. And he's literally, in my case, in my opinion, this is one of his best runs that he's having right now because everybody's enjoying it. He's enjoying it. He's actually able to be a goofball. He's actually able to show off more character and he's actually able to be a menace to anybody he's being thrown into a rivalry with. Anybody from Seth and Edge last year. To now, him with Bobby, him with Austin Theory, him with Cody Rhodes at the beginning of this year. I mean, just anybody you want. And also, him and Roman at the beginning of this year. The Royal Roman match, just period. He comes out in old Shield gear. And that makes Roman flip his crap and beat him to a pulp at Royal Rumble. And Seth technically gets the win over Roman in a, what, Roman didn't want to let go, so disqualification. There you go. Seth technically beats Roman at Royal Rumble. He does not the champion, but he gets a win. Seth has had a great time in WWE. Roman, same thing, except for 
the fans knew that he was going to be the guy. The fans turned on Roman. Fans were not liking it. Fans were booing the company for making Roman the face, being the man, when he was not ready to be the man. Roman has already admitted this on the WWE uh, Peacock series, Evil. He admitted all of this. And he knew that WWE doing what they were doing, he knew this was not going to work. He knew they were going to, the fans were going to regurgitate this and vomit and poo-poo on it. If anything, it made people understand what they were doing in 2015 when Roman won the Royal Rumble and even The Rock when he came down there to help his cousin win the Royal Rumble. And Rock, who is beloved by the entire universe, couldn't even get the fans of Philadelphia to cheer Roman. People booed the piss out of Roman and you get the infamous photo of Roman and Rock Roman with his hands raised up, Rock holding up Roman's hands, and you just see Rock listening to the fans with his one eyebrow up, because Rock hears all the boos. And I guarantee you, even The Rock knew at that time, this thing isn't going to work. So Roman had to endure years of being booed, years of people saying you can't wrestle, years of people just saying you suck because of the company putting them in a unwinnable position, trying to make him the next John Cena, where Roman Reigns is not that. Roman Reigns tried his best. It just did not work. Again, watch the WWE uh, series P Evil on Peacock. Roman Reigns episode. You'll hear it all out of his mouth. He knew it wasn't going to work. COVID was the best thing that happened to Roman Reigns' character. Period. I don't care what anybody says. I think everybody would agree with me here. Roman Reigns' character changing during COVID helped him extremely out. So when he came back with this whole acknowledge me, I'm the tribal chief stuff, that sent Roman over the moon and into superstar mega status, not just with the people in the company, but the fans watching at home that couldn't even be inside the Thunderdome, everybody was loving the character work that Roman Reigns was doing, and leads into now of 2022, Roman still being an unstoppable champion, holding that championship for over 800 days, one of the longest reigning champions in WWE history, straight up. People are loving Roman Reigns. People are loving the bloodline gimmick. People are loving his whole stable of which Roman himself created while he was just himself. The whole tribal chief thing comes from Roman all on his own. He's admitted it. He said that, yo, I had to tell them, yo, it's time for me to take the ball. It's time for me to do what I got to do. You're going to follow my lead. He says all of this, all of out of his own mouth, verbatim. So again, Roman has been on the ups completely. But this time, in this run right now, he's touching mega stratosphere. Mega stratosphere. So Roman's time in WWE has been great. Seth's time has been great in WWE. Dean Ambrose's time in WWE wasn't that great, but over there in AEW, when he jumped ship to go to AEW in 2019, he has been the man over there in AEW. He has been Mr. AEW. He was and still is Mr. AEW, even when Cody and the Bucks and Kenny were the guys when they first started, and those were the four faces with Jericho 5. John Moxley was the sixth man. John Moxley was that sixth man, but when he became the world champion and he became champion during COVID, he carried AEW while COVID was happening. He was still the man. And this year, 2022, 
after he comes back from fighting his demons and everything else, he becomes the man to wave the flag of AEW so hard that he's able to do shows on the independence and he becomes Mr. Independent. He takes that title away from Matt Cardona and John Moxley just showing up at independent shows and he just doing whatever he wants while he's still cashing Tony Khan checks on AEW. John Moxley is the man. So, in retrospect, when you look at everything in totality, his time in WWE was suckish, but that helped him get to AEW and make him become the man and the star that he is today after learning the lessons that he had to learn and endure from being in WWE. If he wasn't ever in WWE, I don't think he would have learned those lessons, and I think he probably would not be the John Moxley that we know of today. I'm just going to be blunt with it. So, retrospective, looking at it all in totality, The Shield has played a major part in all of professional wrestling. Over here in WWE and over there in AEW, The Shield has transformed professional wrestling as a whole. So with that, I just want to say thank you to The Shield, thank you to WWE for doing this, and also thank you to CM Punk for coming up with the idea for The Shield, but WWE had to tweak it by putting Roman Reigns inside of The Shield instead of, well, Cassius Ono, Chris Hero, uh, John Moxley, and Seth Rollins. Those were CM Punk's three guys, but WWE tweaked it, took Cassius out, put Roman Reigns in, and personally, looking at it now, they made the right choice. So, Thank you to everybody involved in the whole S.H.I.E.L.D. creation. Thank you to Seth and Roman and John Moxley for carrying it out. And thank you to just them for making people that were out of touch with WWE and seeing you guys become come back into touch with WWE, come back in touch with professional wrestling. Because again, you guys helped change the way that people looked at wrestling, the way that people thought about WWE, and you guys brought people's eyes back to the business and buys back to the product of WWE at that time. I was around at that time. So trust me, I can say this. Trust me, I was around. I saw things. I saw people tweeting about it. Now they would say that, yo, I never watched the product before. I got out of touch and out of love. But then I saw these three guys going up there and just be complete badasses. Who are they? And they brought them back into the business. So again, I just want to say thank you to The Shield. Thank you to WWE. Thank you to everybody that was involved with that. So, now, with that all being said, I hope you guys have a good Sunday. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. I hope you guys listen to my Sunday episode. It's called Losses. If not, you'll hear me again on next Saturday for Wrestling Highlights of the Week. So, with that, this isn't goodbye. This is until you hear from the Sweet Sounding Voice again. This has been Survivor Series and also The Shield Retrospect. This has been G2. He is I and I am him. I love you all. And Kanye, could you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.